Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Who Writes This Stuff, the official podcast of NASCAR. My name is Nick Flora and I am coming to you once again from my house in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for listening. I'd like to start off the show uh, by saying a few thank yous to everyone who went over and left or has has left uh, iTunes reviews um, over on the on the podcast iTunes page. It helps out a lot, and so anytime you have a chance, you can go over there and write a, a little review or just start or whatever. Uh, it helps iTunes know that we exist, and uh, so I'd like to give a shout out to Matthew Luftus, uh, Jacob Paul, John Eichler. Scott Searcy and Texas Tiffany. Uh, thanks for writing your reviews, you guys. This is this is really cool. Uh, and and keep keep it coming. So I don't care. Go under your friend's uh, password and and iTunes name and and write stuff. I don't care. I'll take anything I can get. Um, also, I'd like to uh, start a new segment. I'm calling Listener Feedback. Listener Feedback. Feedback. Listener feedback is pretty self-explanatory, but for those of you who don't understand what the word self-explanatory means, I'll explain it to you. Um, You write in what you think about anything that's been discussed on the podcast or you think should be discussed or, you know, whatever you think while listening to the podcast, and I read what you write and try not to make fun of you. So that's what listener feedback is all about. Listener feedback. Feedback. Starting off listener feedback is from a person that just needs to go by one letter. Uh, they, they commented on the podcast blog, uh, and it's just by the name R that's right. I'm assuming there's some kind of pirate or something. Uh, they wrote great interview with Matt Wirtz. Uh, I found it really interesting when he, Matt talked about his EP while we're becoming and how he didn't feel like it connected, uh, and that he needed to just play it safe and give the people his quote, usual sound end quote, uh, with his latest CD. I found this intriguing. I thought While We Were Becoming was Matt's best work, and it totally seemed to stretch him and his sound. I actually wish his latest CD sounded more like that. While I love catchy pop signature sound that Matt has, While We Were Becoming was amazing and a more mature Matt Wirtz, perhaps? Matt, keep with it. Your fans will follow you. Matt, I can't speak for the rest of your fans, but this person wants you to make more stuff. It's like you. Listen to feedback. Feedback. Next, uh, there's a post on the blog from Christy Breland, who uh, wrote she's a little behind, but she just caught up with the Jenny and Tyler episode and love that Tyler mentioned the struggle to find his voice. I, too, have struggled and still struggle with this, also f- uh, finding classical training more of a hindrance than a help. It's nice to know I'm not the only one. So that's right. You heard it here first. Classical training will screw you up. Don't do it. Don't go to school. Actually, if you're in school, I would say quit. Um, go back and sue the school and just do whatever you want. Uh, warning, you might end up working at Starbucks for a long, long time. But, hey, you know what? Do what you want. This, uh, I, that's what I got from this this write-up. Uh, maybe not. Listen to feedback. From David Henderson, feedback. he writes, uh, I love the podcast and have been on the edge of writing in several times. What finally stirred me was the talk on the most recent episode with Hannah Miller about small-town poets and their distinct similarity to the gin blossoms. The fact that they sound alike at many times is, of course, true. But maybe it's because I was already familiar with the Gin Blossoms when the first Poets record came out that it never really bothered me. Small Town Poets did good work. Lyrically, a bit offbeat, hooky rock stuff, and I love them for that. I guess the the thing that was never really sounded to me like they were trying to sound like Gin Blossoms, and by that last record, uh, they seemed most guilty of trying to sound too much like the Small Town Poets. Too much of the same. From my experience, you make the sound that you make. Surely you can 
try to write in a particular idiom, add a particular instrumental elements or effects or whatever, but at the end, you can really only end up sounding like you. Or at least that's the way it's always been for me. I guess it's true that there are bands that I thought sounded like ripoffs or are ripoffs of other bands, but I just never felt that way about that particular band. Maybe take a quick listen to some of their best stuff and hopefully you'll realize that you don't have to be heartbroken by any similarities. Keep up the great work on the podcast, David Henderson. Um, I will say, first off, I am or was at one time a huge fan of Small Time Poets. Uh, I was just pointing out them as a as an example of uh, not really being familiar with, quote, secular music at the time growing up and really only having the Christian world and the, and the, the Christian rock world or whatever to, to pull from. I didn't really have a I didn't really have a good reference point. And so when I started hearing all of these uh, Chris, or these secular bands for the first time listening to Top 40 Radio and uh, and just listening to having that world opened up to me, that's when it kind of hit me like, they sound exactly like this band or this band or this band. And, and it wasn't always the case, but I mean, you can't deny some of these people, the labels specifically, were trying to uh, just crank out music that sounded like stuff that was in the mainstream. And Small Time Posts were just just happened to be the, the example for that. And I would love to talk to Michael Johnston or any of those guys from Small Time Poets at some point and uh, kind of talk about that a little bit. I know that they are still a band, actually. I, I looked them up uh, after reading this email to see if I had missed some of the records or, and maybe they had grown past that. But uh, And they actually still are a band, put out stuff every once in a while, which is interesting to me. So that's cool. I, I really love their first couple records. Um, so, yeah, so that's that. I'm glad, David, that you wrote in and uh, and to stand up for them. That's awesome. Everyone should do that. If there's ever a band that I talk about on here that you like, that I disparage, write in and tell me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's fine with me. Unless it's, you know, somebody that's terrible. And, I'll, and, you know, that's your fault. That's on you. That's on you. And that will do it for the first installment of Listener Feedback. Listener Feedback. Feedback. If you have listener feedback, feedback. or questions or uh, comments or something that you would like uh, to talk about, you can always email the podcast at whowritesthisstuffpodcast at gmail.com, and we might even read it on the show, which would be really cool, right? All right. Today on the show, I talk with folk pop singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken. Uh, who is an accomplished solo artist in her own right, uh, but has also penned songs for bands like Cayman's Call and her husband and past podcast guest, Mr. Derek Webb. Um, she was absolute delight to talk to, uh, and I'm a big fan of her stuff. And, uh, you know, I just, it was, it's just nice to talk to nice, grounded people who are doing really cool, creative things. And that's exactly what, uh, what my chat with Sandra McCracken was like, I feel like. So, but you be the judge. I'm not going to tell you what to think. So, without any further ado, here's my talk with Sandra McCracken. I've actually not met him. He's a friend of my mom, so we got it refinanced in St. Louis. He sounds just like Bill Murray. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really great. He's got the Midwestern yeah. kind of, yeah. I recently just... I didn't want to tell him because I didn't know if I'd be offensive. <laughs> he probably gets it. He probably he gets has it. To. But if you only meet somebody by phone, oh, you know, yeah. it's even more defined. You're thinking about the characteristics of their voice. So mm-hmm. I have no idea what he looks like. It's funny to think. So I'm picturing him. <laughs> we just got our house yeah. for with Bill Murray. I recently played some shows in Chicago and I'd never really been there to play shows. And I had a day off and I, I went around and uh, went up to 
like the northern suburbs where they shot where like John Hughes is from, oh, and they yeah. shot a lot of those John Hughes. Oh yeah, like, they look like Northern Chicago. Yeah, and it's it, really it's crazy. So like a lot of uh, oh like Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club and a yeah. bunch of those Ferris Bueller, a bunch of that stuff was set or shot there. Mm-hmm. And I went into just a random grocery store, and the the manager was this big guy. <clears throat> came over to help me and he was it was like John Candy like he sounded just like John Candy he had that very I was like oh that's, this is where you go this is where that's I was true. like he comes by it honestly and I, I just was like I almost wanted to that's you know crazy. keep the conversation going just it's just funny you know like the, that Bill Murray thing reminded me of that yeah cause he's a he's from Chicago but yeah, they Chicago wanted to be a great yeah great accent like yeah that. yeah yeah Rhodes is at a point where he thinks anything anybody with an accent he asks if it's Spanish <laughs> like any kind of anything yeah. Yeah, I heard Is him in Italian one the other day, and he was like, they're speaking Spanish. I was like, no, it's an accent. It's an it's just an accent, it's Italian accent. Was it the language or the accent? The accent. The, okay, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, he'll do it with language, too, um, or French. You know, like, I've noticed a few of them lately. He's trying to figure out yeah. what they are. and whether, I mean, I should get, like, a map out for him and kind of talk to him about where languages yeah. are. I mean, they're kind of everywhere, but you could look at general regions, and mm-hmm. it would be helpful. But it's really funny. His mind is kind of expanding, you know. Yeah. To know there's a bigger. That's world. interesting. I don't remember. I guess you forget after a while where you yeah. learn things. Oh yeah, like I know it's crazy. We've had some of the funniest conversations, and then you stop to think like I shouldn't laugh because they're really trying to understand something about like I don't want them yeah. to feel ridiculed about it. You know, yeah. like yesterday, Carter was asking something about she got something I did in her head like. I came from, she said, I came from mommy's tummy. And then she looked at, and she, she said, did Rhodey come from your tummy? And sent it there. So she was like thinking, well, boys come from boys and yeah. girls come from girls. And I was like, what a great question. That makes sense. It yeah. totally makes sense. And you think like stuff that you have to learn. It's like you're saying, like you never, I mean, you don't remember when you learned it, but it's mm-hmm. pretty fundamental to being a human. Yeah. And at some point that it's not like a logical thing. It's like a created thing. It's like, this is how it exists so mm-hmm. you have to understand and adapt to it it's really wild but and, then, and then after a while it just becomes like mm-hmm. even kids yeah. probably don't remember where they learn right. stuff they just and a lot of it they like just pick up and infer just because they're complex sophisticated brains mm-hmm. you know like they just they learn most by just observing and inflection and you know before they can even explain that they understand it they mm-hmm. do you know <laughs> yeah I mean, they know what you get excited about. They know what disappoints you. They know. I mean, stuff like that that's not spoken at all. Mm-hmm. They they're completely tuned in. Like if we're laughing about something, mm-hmm. and he he sees it, he will start cracking up too. Like he just started yeah, doing that. Yeah, he wants to like, be in. He's like, or he'll we start walking and he'll walk over and like and fall on us and just laugh and he's just like, I want to be a part of the party. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a you know at 13 months you know you just don't. It's so sweet at such a great age. Especially because you're introduced to them as this kind of just glob. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know, I don't, this yeah, is pretty easy. You just let them sleep and yeah, you feed them when they're hungry. Yeah, that's true. So and I, you know and I've had nephews and nieces and stuff, but it's, this is just a it's different, different ballgame. You... Anyway, Sandra McCracken, <laughs> Webb, Sandra McWeb. Uh, did you know there's a Twitter, Sandra McWeb? Is that you? Uh, yes. It? And then you just gave up on it? I think I forgot the info. Yeah. And then, um... Because I, I went to at reply something. Is that the first one? I think that might have been the first one that I set up, but the I The last time it was Twitter. tweeted was like, oh, eight. I think it was... Or one, like yeah, that. it was like one that, like, my friend told me about it, so I signed up. I was like, okay. 
And I totally didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. And then I, I forgot that was, For some reason, I guess when I first got Twitter, I saw yours on there and I and I replied to it. So, you know, when you press add, like it'll kind of type it out for yeah. you. And that one came up and I was like, wait, I don't think that's right. And then went to it and saw it. I was like, is this a fake account? Because <laughs> like Derek has a couple of people who are like that's fake Derek. That's Which is hilarious to me that somebody would even think to do that with their I know, time. I was like, what are people doing? Like, do they not? Somebody has like one, I saw like, like an. The, the old, old Derek Webb? Web. I make jokes about that at the house a lot. I'll, I'll say stuff about it. I'm like, well, the old Derek Webb would not. Maybe I should be married to him on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> it's fodder for, for much Yeah, yeah. For much joking. That's really funny. But yeah. uh, you guys have been doing these house shows. Oh, yeah. How's that going? Um, it's been really great. We, we I'm an introvert, so at first I thought, this is a little intimidating to, to have no barriers mm-hmm. at all like where you kind of go in and yeah there's no like green know, room or like not, I mean just I even when you, and you, when you sit and sing in front of people in a very small setting that's very intimidating mm-hmm. so um, well just I mean not for everybody but probably some people love that but I but I thought that would be unnerving and it actually was um, really rewarding I, I mean I was a little uncomfortable for the first song or so but you get so much more interaction with people that then you start thinking oh this is not like any big deal there's just all of us sitting in a room together and by the end of the first show the first couple we did I was just like why would you do anything else like yeah. I so enjoyed it and it just had a different sense of connection and fulfillment and um, you know kind of getting over some of those barriers I think was has been really um, worth it and it's been fun because Derek and I get to like the shows are so different night to night that um, we play different songs and there's just a lot of it requests and interaction and Q&A mm-hmm. and that that part makes it really lively because you don't really know what you're going to get and people ask stuff and takes you down this rabbit trail or, or you know how much do you have planned out before like ahead of time like we start with okay a we're gonna songs we're gonna do like yeah like do you talk like hey are you gonna ask questions or, or do you want to take questions from the audience or is there mm-hmm. or is it just kind of like hey now does anybody have any questions you know we you kind come of, with it then we realized after the first few um we started out, you know, we've got these two songs we open with. We've got a handful we could do at the end. Mm-hmm. Like maybe one of these three or four we would do at the end. And then um, and then we talked about it's helpful for people to know that they can ask questions, but not to be right on the spot to ask them. So sometime in the beginning we'll say, hey, so be thinking about that if you got stuff you want to talk about. So that they're not like right then. Because a lot of times people clam up if they're like, I, I don't know, like what would I ask? But if they know that at some point, you know, they can jump in, they'll be aware of it and then mm-hmm. and then it seems to happen a little unfold more naturally and so Derek would usually say something about it early on and then say you know there's no plan there's no agenda you know and then every night ends up being really different sometimes people are really chatty and they want to talk a lot and other nights it's a lot of music and a lot more music mm-hmm. so um, you know each one is really unpredictable how that's going to go and I enjoy what like hearing requests for his songs and the interaction between us, because I haven't heard a lot of those songs for a long time either. Yeah. So just getting to kind of have a front row seat for that is is really fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've done those before too, and they're a bit of, they are a bit addicting. Mm-hmm. And you get I I've did about five of them in a row, and then I play like a club, right? And just like a like a bar, like your average rock yeah. club kind of thing. And I was so I got kind of like mad that because I because that everybody wasn't didn't act the way that you know yeah to get a little spoiled to it or you yeah. can <laughs> do you when you played them did you use a mic or anything like uh no it was offered like yeah. people are like do you want us to bring in a small sound system right. and um i've done those before mm-hmm. just because if you, if you know if you get 75 
people or whatever. If like the it, room is kind of hard. They to will overtake you. But then I found, I, I just genuinely like the idea of removing the stage completely. Yeah. And you know, and just ha- having That's that great. connection. And then that coupled with. Um, when you do remove that, and if people see a mic up there, like, well, I can talk because that guy's going to be louder than me. But if you get up there with nothing, yeah. people tend to like bring their volume down yeah. to almost naturally. Um, and then when you go to play the club show, it's strange to use a mic. It is, it is very weird. Your voice you're back, right. It's like all this stuff, it's like you've never done that before because you're adjusting yeah. to something totally different. And the way you sing is a little different because you have to... Well, you have to play guitar really quiet if you're mm-hmm. singing, which has always been hard for me because I never... Because I've always, I mean, I feel like I, from when I, I started as a piano player, but then when I started playing guitar, I always had a PA, it was always in front of like a PA or something where I could have an artificial, you know, something coming out for my voice. Mm-hmm. So I never had to play quietly. And so having to learn to do that has been really, so I play without a pick at those shows. Yeah, me too. Just try to like, I don't know, I mean, it's totally different. Yeah, I, I found even when I first started on the flip side, when I first started playing house mm-hmm. shows, I would lose my voice because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was playing like I would play at a at a rock club, and then I kind of when I adapted it, it it was yeah. like my monitor mix was had to yeah, be different. It was just weird. Like yeah, a distraction all night. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's it's such an interesting thing. I mean, it seems to be taking over too. Like it seems a lot of people house shows mm-hmm, yeah are just, are doing more and more of them, which I think is cool. I mean, I remember I did about three summers ago. I did uh, a house show tour, maybe maybe even longer than that, maybe mm-hmm. '07, and uh, with uh, with a band. And I had to explain. I remember I booked it. I had to to sit on the phone and explain. People were so worried, and you know, nobody really had a, any kind of context mm-hmm. for it. But now it just seems like people kind of right. know what it is, or they've been to one, or heard of one, or anybody that's been to one is just like. I mean, it's kind of a changing experience because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you mean music could be about people in a room and not just about uh sort of spectator um arms crossed kind of yeah. experience it's really different so it, it's similar to like when itunes or something like that came out mm-hmm. to where the the label or the the means in which the music the pipe that it went through to get to yeah. the to the consumer or to the fan yeah was removed and so it was so simple like i could write something today put it up tonight and you could mm-hmm. download it immediately mm-hmm. like that's removed it's, it's it seems like a lot of this is just another avenue mm-hmm. you know for live music to yeah it's really fo- there's like no dilution it's like there's no dilution of the, you know both the artist or the yeah. people there or the music I mean everything is just very pure as it is and so it's it can be a, a really bonding experience for everybody I mean I always feel like you know you just kind of want to like throw your arms around everybody at the end yeah. of the night because it's yeah, like yeah. we're all in this together this is not yeah. just about um I mean, even just getting to hear some of people's stories about the songs or what was going on in their life when they were listening to this record or at this time. I mean, it's really fun. And then it's it's interactive for everyone else to imagine and ask some of those same questions as they're listening. So it's cool. It kind of brings it to life, I guess. Yeah. Do you ever worry about when you remove that kind of that stage or the mystique of it all, you know, like coming out from the back behind mm-hmm. the curtains or whatever, like you would at a normal show, that... that that can kind of, I don't know, I don't want to use the word ruin, but ruin, you know, but because you build up as an artist like a mystique and a little bit, you don't want mm-hmm. to get so close to everybody, especially with Derek specifically. I know he has kind of these hardcore fans <clears throat> who, who feel like they know him and want to, well, just any artist, I guess, has that. Like, do you feel like that's kind of like this is a risk that we're going to take because we're basically going to be hanging out in a room with people mm-hmm. all night and they're going to, they might talk your ear off. There's no like place I can go right. to get away from that. Yeah, I mean, I think there can be 
there there's a way to do healthy boundaries, you know. And there's probably a time for theatrics and some other kind of presentation. There's definitely a time for that. And that's I mean, I don't I have never really been that kind of an artist, you know, mm-hmm. where um but I would be open to it if I was inspired to do so, you know, like whatever it would look like. I don't um you know, but I do think I'm it's teaching me this exercise of even just doing more of these house shows is teaching me um, how to be the same person all the time and I think that that's a really healthy thing for me Hmm. and I never felt like oh I'm just being somebody else but I mean really just talking to people normally has helped me in every other situation just to kind of communicate without feeling like I have to filter or whatever just talk you know just totally being free to just move in and out and and so um, it's been I think for me that's been a point of internal growth where I've been thinking okay what is that what does that mean because this is starting to take down these walls that you know which I think ultimately helped me I mean we've done club shows woven in these too just Mm -hmm. to sort of make it make sense on a lot of levels and and those shows have been really they have been in the same spirit so even if I have a PA I've learned from how to connect yeah on this level which I never really I mean I I was just so when I first started playing music I was so afraid to talk between songs because I didn't I, you know, I didn't know what to say, and I kind of felt like I would mumble, and I was fine when I was singing. I wasn't, it wasn't like nerves from being on stage, but it was nerves from how to just relax and be yourself. And so I think this has been even another layer of me um, learning how to do that and learning to, you know, just let my guard down. Oh, the walls and the rooms in the house are the usual shape and size. I'm just a person who can't be for certain that I'm gonna fit inside Oh, I've been trying and trying, but it makes me tired So I went to the circus and pulled back the curtains, thought maybe I'd find some room introvert and I'm assuming that you always been kind of an introvert and mm-hmm. where you were like a shy kid mm-hmm. too yeah I was what, what made you decide to to get in front of people in the first place if that was the case because a lot of shy kids want yeah. to stay shy and out of yeah. the way and in the corner um I mean the only motivator really was just being compelled by music and and actually singing um so I felt very comfortable when I was actually singing on on I was okay being on stage if I was doing that. And even with theater, I wasn't great with, like, you know, I mean, and I'm, like, you know, small frame, I would always get the role. Like, if I'd try out for the school musical, I'd always be, like, the chorus girl that's 12 years old that comes in and, like, skipping and jumping rope. And I was just like, okay, this is not working for me. I want to be, you know, the Julie Andrews role. I don't right. want to be, like, you know, like the, I don't know. So that that was not the best fit for me. And also, I think... Um, 
I started to figure out, watching other artists that were compelling as performers and that had a different dynamic, that were not just entertainers, like, and all these... Um, I mean, you've got John Prine, who's like mm -hmm. just, you know, comedian as well as, you know, yeah. brilliant musician. And, and when I watch that kind of genius, I just think that is amazing. And I, I kind of have an aspiration to that, but then I realize I'm not, I'm not cut that way at all. Like, mm -hmm. that's just not how I'm made. And then I watched, um, I remember watching Patty Griffin in the early years when she first started playing and performing in Nashville. And she's you know, wouldn't hardly say anything between the songs, but there was such power of the presentation that she was giving when she would play those songs and such expression. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, um, you know, and even the fact that she was sort of a new guitar, <laughs> guitar player. And I was inspired by all of that, just thinking, okay, I don't have to be something else. Like I could, I could figure out what this is for me. So it was, a, I don't know what compelled me to do it. I, I definitely felt, um, like this was always what I wanted to do from a musical standpoint, but the other part had a long time to catch up. You know? mm -hmm. So I think when I hit 30, it really was a kind of a deep sigh of, of um, a new maturity where I felt like, I don't know if it's because I had my first child that year or turning 30 or a combination of things, but I just felt like, okay, I'm okay with, I'm okay with my imperfections and with what this is going to be. I'm just going to be here. You know? Yeah. And um, so I have really enjoyed these last handful of years um seeing that take a new shape in, yeah. in art as well that's interesting when you talked about like becoming more okay with being kind of like well i you know i want to be this type of artist but yeah but just because i i, I maybe i'm not cut from that cloth doesn't mean mm -hmm. i can't take parts of it or appreciate it and then mm -hmm. realizing who you are I, I, you know it's just nice to hear that you know that everybody kind of struggles with it yeah. <laughs> through you know even the 20s and you know in the 30s and maybe forever yeah at some point for sure you kind of struggle with that so you started playing piano started with piano yeah i used to play and sing at the house all the time you know and is your family musical other than you not really um my dad's a great singer but never did anything with it you know he was too busy you know playing sports and being being a kid so he never i think he probably would have if he had had the thought to because mm -hmm. he's got a great voice and um and so I, you know, my mom enjoys music and all my, I'm the youngest of five kids. So everybody loved different artists, you know, and would play different records at home. And so I was exposed to a lot of styles of music because of that. And, but there was never anybody that, that, that was, you know, professional in music or anything mm -hmm. like that. So, but my mom was, I mean, they were really supportive of it. And so I begged to take piano lessons and I, and I don't know what first sparked that, but I was really persistent about that and so we finally um we couldn't afford to get a piano but we borrowed one from a friend family friend whose kids were grown and they let us borrow their upright and i mean from the day it was in the house i just played it all the time so had a great piano teacher and and but i was always like singing and playing there was something combined about those things for me that even as i was learning piano technique i was I was also training my ear, and I would want to play the things that I liked or that I heard in the radio or show mm -hmm. tunes or, you know, um, I don't know, all that kind of stuff. So. Do you remember, like, any early songs or artists that, like, the earliest that kind of grabbed you as far as being impressed with music or, like, turning you on question. to music? Um, I remember having a neighbor teach me that song, Send in the Clowns. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds really funny, but it had this, like, melancholy... 
it was like all I remember because I didn't know anything about piano and it was all black notes just about and yeah. I was like just kind of picked it up from she taught it to me and I just remember being captivated by the mood of that song and um, so I did I, I certainly spent time with like those pop songbooks you know like learning the stuff from the radio and that was just all the you know soft rock hits I don't know what, yeah. what else you can really pull off on the piano um, and I did classical as well as I was kind of growing up but was really into I guess probably theater and then church music and hymns and I would I would um, both from a hymnal and from like other kind of church music books were that, that was a big part because I think it was connected to my spiritual development as well I, I, I felt like almost like my time playing had some sort of a prayer quality to it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that until when I moved to college and when I was away from a piano, I realized that that was missing and that I would like feel this like spiritual um, kind of reflective posture that would happen when I was playing music on a piano. And, yeah. it, you know, not for anybody else, but just playing like that. And and I, I didn't realize how much that that was tied in. And so... Um, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. How far into you uh, playing piano or being musical in general was did writing come into play? Um, so I started writing in middle school, and I remember sitting in English class, and it was probably eighth grade or se- um, seventh or eighth grade, and we and I remember writing some lyrics, and I don't know if I had the melody in my head yet, but when I sat down with the piano, I. Was, I actually recently found a bunch of those notes they're they're funny oh my gosh they're like real you know typical you know middle school emotional heightened like everything is like the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world because everything is just really um on the surface you know nothing's in the middle middle. (laughs) on either end of the spectrum so it was really it's funny um and a lot of those songs that i was writing during that time i don't have any recollection of them at all but i would write the words and i'd write little chord letters above it and i would just sort of improvise on the piano and so I, i started doing a lot of that and then you know i wrote a song for um our little school eighth grade graduation or seventh grade whatever it was middle school and um and had a little group of students sing it, and I kind of played the piano and led them in that. And that was really defining wow. for me as an identity yeah. thing. Like, it was a great school where they, they encouraged a lot of things outside of the box. So they were like, yeah, let's do it. And we and it was at the ceremony and um, of, you know, graduation or whatever. And I was like, I remember being in with classes the next day and feeling like that was the first time that I ever felt a sense of this is who you kind of are this is what sort of sets you apart from other kids mm-hmm. and I think you know even though I had I had been pretty moderately involved in sports and other interests painting I don't know I mean you know I was never like nothing ever really felt like it it really defined me in that way so after that moment that was really it wasn't just the sense of attention from it but it was it was something about it that made me feel like this is who I am becoming Time and history were my love There's not a thing that I would change So can I drive you to Chattanooga Where the city in October looks like fire 
quickly after that, did you think I have to do this again? Or I think I just started naturally doing okay. that a lot. And then I remember I wrote songs for my brother's weddings, you know, and other people, and like those kind of events were my specialty. <laughs> you know, something that I had an emotional connection to. Something with I heightened love. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the emotions were high. This idealistic thing. High probably. You know? and, and, um, but yeah, they were certainly in the vein of, of that, you know, the power ballad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but, and that also was what, what the piano sort of functioned in terms yeah. of the, the sound that it produced for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that, so that, I feel like I wrote a lot after that point. It um, continued to write, and I started writing, I mean, I started playing guitar a little bit at the very end of high school. Um, same kind of thing there, like I would do, sometimes I would do a song for, I think I was a sophomore year, or maybe, no, I was freshman year, one of those two years, um, and I wrote a song for my English class, and I had a really challenging teacher that, I was in an honors English class, it was one of my first, I mean, I didn't do a lot of honors classes, but, and I loved it, and I wanted to be great at it, and she was, she would always give me, like, several grades less than I thought, you know, it was a really tough class, and then I, for one of the projects on mythology, I wrote a song, and played it in the class with guitar, and that was the first time I'd ever played guitar, I think I picked it up, like, just to play enough to play three chords and mm-hmm. that was the only thing in that class I got an A on and that she seemed pleased and I was so like doubly happy about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, double affirmation. Yeah, for sure. So there were little things like that and it would just be the thing I did along the way. It started to become the identity marker for me. Mm-hmm. Even though I still did other things, it was um, it was a, a real load for me and I couldn't wait to go to college and be able to just study music. Yeah. You know? When did you start playing shows then? Was um, it in college? In, probably in college, yeah. When you were, mm-hmm. how are you? Was. How are you introduced to that aspect of, of music? I guess I would have to say Nashville taught me that. You know, I didn't. because oh, you went to Belmont, about, right? I went to Belmont. Yeah. So when okay. I moved to Nashville, and at the time there was like a thriving jam and Java in Franklin, and it was like this little brick building. It was like I remember seeing Sixpence and wow. you know these incredible shows there. You know, and so um, started to do stuff like that. You know. What were some of the artists that you got compared to early on? Um, well, it, it's interesting. I think people do comparisons based on whatever's pop, most popular. That's true. Time. So yeah, that's true. It, you know, for a while it was like, oh, you sound like Cheryl Crow, and then it was like, you sound just like Jewel, and then it was like, you know, it was just totally random. That it's like yeah. I don't really sound anything like no. these people, but they happen to Jewel be the strong all. female that you hear. Right. That you, yeah. you know, which to me is like that's a great compliment, even if I'm. If I'm into the artist or not, it's somebody identifying something that they like. Yeah, that so is true. It's, it's like through that lens that that's what that means. You yeah, know? you very rarely hear people describe your music as somebody that they hate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you're like, you know, yeah, that like if they have some derogatory tone, they're usually not going to say it. That's like, mm, yeah. So you know, well, I don't know. Unfortunately, maybe, sometimes they they do. Mm-hmm. I played a I played a that just reminded me. I played I played this place in Springfield, Missouri once, and the guy was like. Yeah, we got you and this other guy on the bill, and then there's this girl uh, who's gonna play. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And he's like, well, she sounds like Jewel. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. I hate Jewel. It was all the <laughs> oh, funniest thing. Like gosh. me and my friends still like will say that. That's right. Like why? Why even mention it? Like there's no no point mm. to mention that. Um, how often do you write now? Mm. Like, is it kind of a forced regular thing, or is it? No. Like, do you I... wait for inspiration, or is it? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably a combination. I have to be more efficient about it with with little kids. Like mm-hmm. I feel like um, when we 
I mean, you kind of enter into the stage of having a new baby and you can still get by with a lot because they sleep so much and you get these chunks in the day. And then with two, with having two kids so close together, it's kind of like, I mean, they're sort of like Irish twins where you're, you're <laughs> feeling like, um, and they're, they have so much fun, but they're not quite to where they just go off and play by themselves yet. So, um, and I don't want to miss any of this stuff with them. Like, yeah. I don't want to miss this stage. So I'm pretty much okay with not not trying to um, try I mean sometimes I'll sit next to him and they're working on something and I'll try to like chase down an idea and I love being able to like record it on my phone or in a little I mean gosh there's so many more ways to do that yeah. now which is that are not just like the little tapes that you have to go I know you know so it, I think that helps because I can just jot down ideas and then when I have time later I can do that but um, it's it's harder at this season to make the time for it but at the same time um, I'm much more creatively charged because of it, because caregiving is a very similar muscle I mean creating a song and creating games and fun with your kids is very similar oh yeah you know like you're already like charged and thinking about um, well just emotionally and you, you're kind of I don't know it's just using it using it for a different application um, using your creativity for either caregiving with children and then shifting it over to songwriting tends to be very fruitful and so I probably am just about as productive as I was before because I have to just I have to just be really efficient you mm -hmm. know and there's not a lot of that in between time it's like okay I just just you know yesterday I sat down and like worked on a, um, somebody had written a poem for <clears throat> that I met a couple weeks ago and asked if I would like set some music to it and I thought I don't know what what the heck I'll just you know, like so I sat down and it was like I mean a couple times through it it just fell into place I demoed it and just sent it off and it was like what a great exercise I have no idea what will come of that I'm not yeah. trying to write some hit song but just to be able to shift into that mode and write it out and get it out of my system was a really great feeling of, of accomplishment um, so there are moments like that and then um, you know, there's lots of gaps in between where I feel like all I'm doing is changing diapers and cleaning dishes, and I'm, you know, it is what it is. Like your it's energy, important. your energy gets spent so quick. It is. I mean, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. So I just think like, I all I can do is sit here and watch a West Wing. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't think about writing yeah. some brilliant thing right now. There's nothing in me. You That's know? West nothing. Wing is even a little bit too too much <laughs> for me sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm no, like, a, is, like so that's a lot of dialogue. Sometimes I, sometimes I just have it. to watch some dumb just, TLC show. Or... You're right. You know, when I watch it, I'm kind of like, I think I'm, I'm not sure if this makes me feel smart or not yeah. smart, but I'm missing half of this whole thing uh -huh. that's happening. I just want to watch Wipeout. Like, I just want to watch people <laughs> jump off giant balls and the, the... No, you're right. I don't know. Like, that's sometimes true. that's all I can take. That's true. I just need to put something dumb on and yeah. turn my brain off. Because I, I, my reading has gone down dramatically. Yes, recently, which, reading is I'm like, wait, 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 wait what's happening? I have to go so back hard. three pages to be like, wait, who is this character? Yeah. How did I miss this guy completely? Uh, because of that, like, <laughs> my brain's like, please, no more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find being a mother is, has changed the way you write at all? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. even the way you think about things, and has it helped open up kind yeah. of parts of your brain that, you, that might have closed off a while back just because, you know, you grow up? And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, I mean, that... I mean, I write a lot about things that are close to me, so that I think it's woven its way in in that way pretty naturally. Um, I have to resist the urge for it to make me want to play it safe a little bit, you know, because like you get in this parent mode and you're just like 
you want to create a, an amazing, beautiful world for your kids. Mm-hmm. Like you want to protect them from everything bad, and like bring them into safety. And you just and then you got to think, okay, now you your job is to keep them alive, but there's a lot. I mean, just to just to not be afraid, just to push out, you know, um, out of that safety zone and to push them out in ways. And I think, so finding a balance of that in music, I think will be interesting. On my next record, I really want to, I'm starting to dream up a little bit. And, you know, like I, when I watched the other day, I mean, any, you know, stuff that comes out of Asthmatic Kitty, I feel like is really hyper creative work it's stuff mm-hmm. that really inspires me because it always kind of catches me by surprise yeah it'll bend your brain a little bit yeah. yeah and even if that's not the thing that exactly that I'm I'm about I feel like those kind of artists inspire me to think outside a little bit more like don't just make um, don't just make like a plain safe yeah. record like do something really creative and and Derek helps me with that a lot you know he's constantly finding and mining great music we were talking about that while I was here like some of the some of the the music he brought up was kind of shocking I didn't realize that all the stuff that he listens to I know it's it's like like he was talking about hip hop and like electronic stuff I mean he like he listens to so much of that and (laughs) and I told I mean he's he's really brought me along to understand a lot more of um not just the merit of it but just I mean it's like pretty stunning work you know, mm-hmm. and and so that's a good example. It's music that I can't listen to with the kids in the car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the same, because it wouldn't be appropriate for them. But at the same time, it's music that I'm so glad is exists and that I enjoy. And so I want to allow myself to be expansive and um, and to be open to making art about all kinds of things, and not just kind of let my music close in the way my arms kind of close in around my family. that I've been making records that it felt like okay if I could just get a big record deal um, then everything would be great you know and then uh, the way things went for me and I kept learning the same lesson that you know that that bigger is not you know just kind of expanding something out to some mass market is not really going to make it um, I don't know it's just like um, I'm probably not explaining the whole quote very well but trying to trying to figure out what it is that you do like what's your voice what is it that you are here to say and then finding people that resonate with that that can come around you to do that so for me I think the tools of 
um, that are really helpful. I mean, things like Noise Trade, having a place where you can um, you can connect with fans and find new people by giving them the music mm-hmm. on a way that um, that actually bonds you guys together, so that you have their zip code and you can say, "Hey, I'm coming to do a house show in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. and um, would love to have you." You know, so it's like they just got a new record and you and and you develop an, a bond you know over that experience so noise trade's been great um you know and I, f- I just feel like i have a handful of friends i mean I, um that help me to take care of booking or contracts and even all the people that um put together the shows the house shows the um the regular you know promoted shows i mean all of that it's like i just feel a, sen- a strong sense of gratitude that that you can't do this in a vacuum, that you really need the support of people that can come alongside and um, understand what you do and believe in what you do and want to see it happen. Because if really, if that's not functioning, um, then you got to question whether or not this is your, this is the spark, this is the thing you should be doing. Yeah. You know, there has to be a natural um, momentum that happens that you try to harness and develop and and build, but at the same time, um, it's really a collective effort. Do you think that exists? Do you think I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this? Uh, do you think that, that the people forcing it to work exists? Have you met people like that who are like, maybe the spark, yeah. you know, died, but they're still going like, mm-hmm. and and trying to pursue something that just isn't working. Yeah. Well, I've seen some people that start out and they're kind of mediocre, and then in terms of their, you know, whether it's performance or right. songwriting or whatever, but if they have the drive. Sometimes they can really you can get really far with some with do, just drive do well mm-hmm. you know that's true um, and they have either gifts with the business or they're just really p- persistent or um, and then they get to a lot of times they get to a point where they're really figuring it out you know and they've mm-hmm. gotten to be really good at what they're doing so man if you can make a living doing that I think that's great yeah um, I mean I think on occasion I was just thinking about yesterday about um, the announcement of REM breaking up mm-hmm. and I was just thinking how it's interesting to me because as a band who's been around that long they you know you have the option to either not say anything yeah. just not make any deal out of it or or to say hey we're just gonna make this a formal statement and and move on and um, and it kind of dignifies the whole experience of having been a band and having had people that are part of that collective experience yeah. and just to say, hey, let's celebrate it and let's move on. I've noticed in the past 24 hours so many people sharing their experiences and, yeah. you know, and how R.E.M. has moved them and, you know, the the things that connected them to this song and that song. And yeah. it's really kind of brought up this weird, uh, <laughs> like, little family, like, oh, I had that too. And, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of, it is in a way like a funeral where you get it together and you, and you talk about your, exper- your collective experiences yeah. with with this artist and because I thought that too I was like why even say anything like right. you know but like then forever the more if they didn't say anything there'd be no record they would constantly be getting you know like the question are you guys I guess you're right yeah, and so maybe they just needed to put that <laughs> nail in there and get get it over yeah. with yeah it's cool I think it's a pretty noble thing to handle it that way and to come to a point of, of them making the decision and, and announcing it and letting people come along and a good way to spike your iTunes sales I guess that's they've probably got some downloads that's probably true that. yeah uh, how do you handle being, like, typecast? typecast? If that ever, like, you know, like, even not a, not even just as a, 
like a female artist, like a lot of times, mm-hmm. we'll see, you know, people will see a girl on a guitar or a girl on a piano <laughs> and throw a typecast on, or yeah. even like being in the Christian world, mm-hmm. back and forth. Uh, like, do you, how do you keep that from informing what you write? Yeah, I think if I if I'm true to being who I am and and really trying to um, narrow that and refine that to like to being. Um, the most honest version of myself that I can be, I think that it takes care of itself, you know? And if people think that, sort of like what we were talking about before with um, if people compare you to other people, Mm -hmm. it's usually just a sign of um, flattery. Like, they're trying to say, hey, this is great, and you remind me of this. Mm -hmm. And so even if that's not my preference and I'm not thrilled about that reference, whatever that might be, um, it's not coming from that place it, you know like it's coming from their own yeah. lens you know so trying to just allow I think being in and out of uh, Christian circles I think it's just like you know being the same person all the time I mean um, this is the faith that I profess I've always been resistant to like the the confines of a of a an industry that was when I first moved to Nashville in 95 it was like you could either do country or Christian music. And mm. I was like, no thanks, yeah. either, you know? And so being able to make small decisions in the, since then that have, um, that have basically said, well, that's not what it is. I can't tell you exactly what I do, but it's not that. Yeah. And it is what it is. And then, um, you know, I think that's hard for people to, to put a term on or to say, well, I can tell you about her music in, like, three words you know and it's like you can't do it and that's okay and I've had to be okay with that you know was there a time when you struggled with it more yeah or, or, I mean, or did you have you always kind of like not worried about it um I think it's a I think I've always been pretty fierce about saying this was not what I wanted to be mm-hmm. so um and in the last you know five or so years I feel like I'm I'm more okay with if you're whatever you want to call it it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just okay with it being um, an expression of myself. I like to do, you know, I've done two hymns records as sort of side projects, and those have been so warmly received mm-hmm. that um, that I'm really proud to do them. And 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 then I continue to make uh, records that are just about all kinds of other things yeah. in life. And I feel that's a primary calling. And um, it's almost like the hymns for me are more of a personal calling. And so the rub for me over the years has been like, well, how do I, you know, people want to market that or people want to understand that on a, on, you know, on the platform that you're on. But it's like, I I don't know if I can completely reconcile that other than to just say, um, the hymns are an expression of who I am and, um, I write songs about all kinds of things, you know, and Mm -hmm. to try to just, um, speak the same way to any, anybody and it, and it works itself out most of the time. And the hymns that you've done are so like there's such an such an authenticity to them, and like you, Thank you. there there I mean it's absolutely there there is no kind of gloss and glamour that gets thrown along with a lot of like worship records or recordings. Um, I feel like that that's probably why so many people like jump on it because that's that's the way that most of us are. Like most of us aren't into any kind of Christianity that's that's a corporate. Mm-hmm. Entity. We want something real. We want a relationship. We want something real that we can connect with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I know that's why I respond to Christianity the way I do, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is because it's an authentic thing that that means something to me at my core, and not something that's just dances around and uh, 
as a show and is you know doesn't have any kind of connection I guess Jesus the Lord my savior is my shepherd and my God my life my strength my joy my bliss and I his grace record Your song, uh, Goodbye George, can you talk about writing that a little bit, yeah. where the idea for that came from? Yeah, I wrote that with a couple of friends of mine, um, an artist named Blue and Zach Hansen, and mm. we wrote it at a writer's retreat. Um, I think I had just Zach Hansen, Blue. like Zach Hansen? Yeah, like, okay. yeah, uh, from the Hansons. Mm-hmm. And um, so he plays drums on the track, and I mean, oh, so cool. basically it's like, a, it's a it's the demo that we made writing it, and then we... Um, we remixed it. Ray Kennedy remixed it for the record and kind of made it blend in with the other songs. Yeah, because it's very. I mean, it's it's basically saying goodbye to George Harrison, yeah, the Beatle, yeah, in a very Beatle way. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a very fitting these, tribute. Yeah, it's, all these yeah. Because when I first heard it, I, I saw the the name and then uh, the first riff is "Here Comes the Sun," right? And I was like, "That's Here Comes the Sun," and then that's when it hit me. I was like. <laughs> She just ripped off Here Comes the Sun. Oh, George Harrison. Like, it just hit me, like, immediately. Because the rest of as the song plays out, it's very, uh, it's just a giant, like, hug of Beatles songs, you know? Yeah, that's right. I have to give Blue props for that. He's he's the mastermind behind weaving weaving the songs, and um, it was really fun. And I think for us, because we were, we had, because I had just met Blue, I mean, it was a great point of connection to write something about somebody like if we're thrown in a room together write mm-hmm. something that's sort of meaningful and you guys don't know each other very well you know um i had known zach a little longer but it was still like you know kind of plopped into that setting and so for me it was a great way uh george harrison was a great catalyst because he's my favorite Beatles. So, mm-hmm. you know it was a good way to like both commemorate that and yeah and make music together and that is one of the i mean when you first meet anybody kind of mm-hmm at least I do when you start mentioning the the kind of art that you enjoy mm-hmm. like so what you know it's such a cliche like you know so what so kind of music you listen to, you listen to? <laughs> like it's right. like a first date question mm-hmm. you know and then you see if there's any kind of like what can I relate to you on what you know right. <laughs> with what uh, that's right that's really that's really interesting I mean, that, have you found that's one of the a favorite from people mm-hmm. yeah I because see. because not only is it relating to those guys that you wrote it with I mean that's the Beatles yeah. being the biggest band ever probably yeah. you know like there's a lot of people who, who probably relate to that and there are probably a lot of people who have George as their favorite Beatle too mm-hmm. <laughs> that song's fun to play it has a real lightness to it that mm-hmm. a lot of that it's been I haven't played it in recent shows but um, I should pull it back out because yeah it always is it's yeah. really fun Goodbye, George. 
All things must pass. Here comes the sun to take the youngest one at last. So the dark horse turned the light out. I remember when the wonder wall came down. Some of the best advice that you've been given, or heard, or read, or you know, is there any kind of you know mantra or something that you go to, or that you've heard somebody say once that that sticks with you as far as like just being in the music industry in general, or mm. or being an artist? I wish I had something really quotable. Um, <laughs> I should have uh, given you these questions ahead of time. Yeah, no, that's that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> it's um, true. But I think there are, this is funny, but when I have moments of, it's it's a great privilege being in sharing a house with another artist who's mm-hmm. very, articul- he's extremely articulate and, um, and understands some of the things that go on with, in, in, a, in the brain of an artist, you know, right. because he is one. And so there have been moments where I would feel really defeated or um, where I would feel like, how do I know what I'm doing matters? And he has always been really consistently telling me that um, that uh, making that in other words, being faithful to your vision of what you're doing and just making the art that you're supposed to make. It doesn't matter how many people hear it or not. That's not why you do it. And um, there was a moment that he said that about when I was having one of those conflicts. He said. Um, Andy Ashworth has a book called Real Love for Real Life, and she is um, a dear friend and mentor to me. And I remember in the middle of one of these conflicts I was having, is he and I was talking about how I wish that more people had had bought the record Red Balloon, like just to say it plainly. I was like, I felt mm-hmm. like something was missed. You know, did I did I do something wrong? You know, did was there something that because I was so proud of the record and I just felt like it. Um, and I just, I just had a baby, so I'm sure I was highly emotional <laughs> at the time. But it was still this feeling of like, you know, was it worth it? Is it worth it to do it? And and he said, do you think that like Andy ever feels that way about her book sales? You know? And I was like, I was really having to take a look at that because she has had such an effect on my life and writing that book just as one small part of that. And you just think it doesn't matter you know like it matters that she is true to make the book to write it to pour herself into it in that way and Mm -hmm. to pour herself into the people that are around her and the rest of it is like there are some things that are not made for mass consumption in that way and they're not and that's okay you know and uh someone i heard someone at a retreat a couple years ago talking about the poet laureate of that year and he mentioned his name and was talking about it. He was saying, you know, what's interesting is like, no one even knows this guy, but that's, you know, it doesn't make it less valuable mm-hmm. that he doesn't have, um, that kind of commercial appeal, you know, and it just matters that he makes beautiful poetry, right? you know, and that he does something significant and that even in this way, he's been valued by being the poet. Yeah. So 
that's been good. That's been a great reminder when I have moments of insanity. Yeah. And wanting more. That's something I I constantly struggle with, even this morning, just struggling with. I feel like I'm holding up my end of the bargain or whatever yeah. uh, by creating, like doing the, you know, working my butt off to make things that I, you know, create yeah. thing that is truly a, a part of me and, is, you know, is, is real art to me and mm-hmm. <clears throat> relaying thoughts in the way that, you know, doing everything I'm supposed to do as far as an artist goes, but then like getting other people to care yeah. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, especially being a self promoter and, uh, yeah self-manage and all that. I mean I'm holding I'm wearing all the hats uh, as a as an artist and so it's hard to you know when seemingly nobody cares mm-hmm. you know but which is which is so dumb because I've spent you know years with I have years and years of, of people complimenting me and telling you know even telling yeah. me you know how a song is helped yes but, but for yeah. some reason either the negative sticks with me or yeah. the nothing like right. whenever I think that there's just nothing there's nobody I put something out there and there's no nothing coming back yeah you know and a lot of that is because i have to 99 percent of the business that i do is on the internet and it's mm-hmm. so impersonal yeah. sometimes you know like to go on but every time i come back from the road i'm so like full yeah. and just and inspired and and you know happy but mm-hmm. it's just it's it's funny how you know you, you do forget the the, the reason mm-hmm. you know and, and what and what is this rooted in like if it's rooted in, in the praise and accolades of of yeah. your fellow man then then uh, I just feel like you'll always be chasing after that. Yeah, you will never have enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Even it, if it, you were like at this complete peak of success. Yeah. And, so, and somebody told me, because I complained once uh, kind of flippantly about how there was a show that was low attended and I was kind of let down that there was only, you know, 40 people or something like that. But that's, mm-hmm. which is so dumb because 40 people came to my show. But there, you know, and then hearing like, well, if you're not going to, and somebody said like, if you're not going to be happy with one person, two people, 40 people, then you'll never be happy when there's a thousand or 2000 or, you know, like a number, you know, if a number doesn't, a small number doesn't mean everything to you that somebody would spend their time yeah. with you and, and hearing what you have to say, uh, then, then 20,000 people aren't going to do anything either. Yeah. You know, the number is never going to be enough. Especially it's like the same with money. You hear, you know, yeah. <laughs> so if you can't be satisfied with a little bit, uh, then you're never going to be completely satisfied, mm-hmm. but I don't that's know. true. That's definitely, that's definitely good advice, though. <laughs> I put out on Twitter, as you saw, uh, a couple questions for people that had for you, and we'll uh, we'll end on this. We'll see if you uh, if you pass the test. Okay. Uh, see how well you know yourself. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> at Peter Galtney wanted to know uh, you and Derek maintain separate music musical identities. Um, how do you accomplish that? Living in the same roof. How how do you not blend into each other? (laughs) Well, there's a significant amount of blending, but I think both of us are just so fiercely independent about the the art that we make. You Mm. know, even when we co-write, if we sit down to co-write, it works really well if it's like one of our idea or the other, and the other one's just helping because then you one person has sort of veto power. You know, but if it's really an even thing, which we've done more of on the EP this last summer on Tennessee EP, we did more of that, and it was. The first time we'd ever been able to do that and really had fun doing that, you Mm -hmm. know, where it was like, okay, let's just sit down and work on this together. Um, But I don't know. I think, you know, as you can tell, we're very different people. So our personalities, um, you know, he is 
he is such a compatible friend for me, but yet we're so different, you mm-hmm. know? Like, he's such a, um, it's a, it's hard to even explain how those things can coexist <laughs> or can, can work so well together. Yeah. You know, not just coexist, but um, that we could both be so different and yet so complementary at the same time. Um, but we've just never felt the pull to be one, like to be a band or to mm-hmm. be just um, blend into just one one musical kind of entity. And um, and I just think at the core, we have have those paths have been already laid out for us. Yeah, you know, it's like God has have him on this one trajectory and me on this other one, and that um, certainly I couldn't do all that I've been able to do in the last since I've met him. Even just when we first met, I mean, it was just fun to be able to have support of somebody that could come on the road with me, or mm-hmm. I could go on the road with him, and, you know, different ways that we could support each other to do more of that, um, while still continuing to do that on our own terms yeah. as individuals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at Foolish Yet Wise on Twitter asked, uh, as a big fan of Wendell Berry, who talks a lot about rootedness in place, how do you balance that with touring? Good question. Um, that's the balance constantly in motion. I feel like you know you're constantly. It's like you've got the two sides on either side of the fulcrum, and you're constantly taking something off over here and dropping it over here, and then moving them back. I mean, trying to weigh out how things feel. That's one of my favorite things to think about to apply my brain to, for mm-hmm. better or worse. Derek probably is so tired of hearing <laughs> it, but it's like okay, I feel a little out of balance here. There's like too much of this and not enough of this, and trying to just Every year has been different. Every six months has been different for us. You know, um, if you look at like each project we've done and, um, but I think, uh, I think touring a little bit and then, um, and then reconnecting with community and then, um, and now with the kids, it's another whole layer of balance because you have to make sure that they're thriving and, Mm -hmm. and that what you're doing is somewhat sustainable. Um, on everybody's reserves, whatever they have to deal with, yeah. you know? So, um, it is a constant, a, a, it's constantly in motion to try to find that balance. And I've toured a lot less since the kids were born, but, um, I've toured enough. And when I, when I am on the road, it's so fulfilling. Cause you just like, I feel like there's so much more to express than mm-hmm. ever before. And so I'm, I really kind of relish those moments of being able to perform songs and just really put myself into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, in other words, I need that too. And, um, I have not been away from the kids more than, you know, four days at a time, but, um, and even that is pretty rare. So I tried to, I just love being with them. So I tried. Do they ever come out, out with you guys? come out with us. Yeah. We try to find like, sometimes Derek will go out, sometimes I'll go out and then, uh, sometimes he and I'll take like two days to run out and do a couple shows or three days and come back mm-hmm. and that seems to work pretty well they don't have a lot of they're old enough now they don't have a lot of anxiety about that um, mm-hmm. and we're not there's not a sense of both parents being gone all the time and that's really critical I think yeah. for them to know that this is a stable <laughs> environment you know this. yeah yeah um, so yeah we, we do we're bringing it like we're doing a, a couple of shows this weekend and so we've got we're driving uh we're driving to a couple of them just in the evenings by ourselves and driving back after and then we'll take them with us to memphis and hang out and go to i don't know elvis's house or something yeah but does we'll derek still have family there he has some or are they all some, in houston yeah like no he has some uh 
not immediate family, but he has some family there in town. So okay. We may get to see some. Your, does your family come out to shows whenever you're around? Sometimes. Are they all still yeah. in the St. Louis area? Yeah. In fact, my mom's driving this weekend to meet us in Memphis to hang okay. for a little bit. So we're kind of meeting halfway. Yeah. So it'd be fun. What are you? Uh, are you writing for anything now? Yeah, Do you have a, I, like a record in mind? I'm ri- I am writing uh, toward a record. I have one song that I feel like, it's a song called Forgiveness, and um, I feel like it's kind of giving me some coordinates on what it's going to look like, but mm-hmm. I don't know yet. <laughs> well, Sandra, thanks for coming yeah, on the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for listening uh, once again. If you would like to check out more of Sandra's music, you can do so at sandramccracken.com. Um, she also has a free noise trade sampler of just kind of a mishmash of, of uh, a couple songs from each record at noisetrade.com slash sandramccracken that I highly recommend you check out. It's free, uh, completely free. So, um, Also, if you would like to write into the podcast, you can do so at whowritesthisstuffpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, those might be considered for a future listener feedback segment. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WhoWritesPod. Join the Facebook group. And that's it. For Who Writes This Stuff, I'm Nick Flora. Have a great week. <laughs>